welcome to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I am your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 37 of the podcast. All right. What do we got here? 37? Yeah. 37 is the episode for all you Spanish-speaking folks out there. Welcome. Welcome to the College Student Success Podcast. Here we are in week seven of the college semester for many of you. So I know I'm giving out midterms this week, starting today, and I assume most of you probably are doing something similar this week or next week. Next week for us is actually spring break, so that's pretty cool. I am excited to have a few evenings off, even though I'll still be working as normal the rest of the week. I just won't be teaching uh, classes. So enjoy your spring break next week. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about spring break. I'll be back next week. I'm not taking a week off. Um, But I wanted to mention that, you know, if you guys have found success and have been building good, healthy habits all semester, don't let them go to shit next week. Uh, try to stay in some kind of sleeping rhythm. All right. I know it's going to be tough if you don't want to wake up early for no freaking reason, right? So maybe give yourself a reason to wake up. Instead of going to class next week, you might decide, you know what, let me go and run some errands I've been meaning to do that I just haven't been able to get to because I've been so bogged down with school. And I'll get up early to do that because it'll sort of mimic the experience of getting up for class and you don't sort of get out of your rhythm too much. Or maybe, you know, go for a run. It's been nice out in the Northeast, at least. Leverage the time off to get some work done that either you've been behind on and are able to catch up or that you're anticipating having when you get back if you are all caught up. You know, getting a head start on an upcoming project will be invaluable to you come when the semester starts back up again after spring break. So that is my little quick tip for this week. I probably will keep this podcast a little short. I have to admit, I was a little uh, discouraged this week. I had some interviews that I had planned kind of fall through, and it kind of got me feeling a little bit uh, pessimistic about things. But I think all things happen for a reason. Um, I had started listening to this new audiobook uh, last week or the week before. And lo and behold, I ended up finishing it yesterday. And I wanted to take the opportunity to talk about it. So today, instead of an interview, I still hope to get them. Uh, I will be talking about a book that I recently listened to and somebody that I've talked about, I think, in passing, but never given uh, a full episode worth of uh, of my thoughts. So you'll be getting them today on Mr. Gary Vanderchuk. So before we get to that, uh, a couple of questions of the day from Reddit. So let's get into those, shall we? Our first question is more for me than for you. Um... I got this question and started thinking about it, and it just so coincided with something I have coming up. So, how many of your high school friends do you still see? (laughs) In six months, I would probably never see my high school friends again. I know people tell us we need to see new, we need to see new people and make new friends, but the one group, but the one we grew up with aren't friends. They're like a part of us. 
So it sounds like this person is getting ready to go away to college and is coming to terms with the realization that this core group of people that were such an important part of their life is now not going to be there for them on a day-to-day basis anymore. And I can understand that being really scary and somewhat disappointing feeling. I remember that as well. I had a really um, awesome group of friends in high school and we, you know, we did a lot of cool shit together. And I think I actually probably started to drift apart more before school even ended um, for various reasons. But uh, amazingly enough, I'm not going to really read all the responses, but I wondered how many of your high school friends out there you guys still see. Uh, If you are in college, do you see a lot of them? You know, are you home often? and just have the opportunity to run into them? Are you away at a school, but you have high school, people that you went to high school with that are also at that school, so you've remained friends? Or are you kind of completely immersed now in a new set of friends? Um, There's no right or wrong answer to this. I just thought it was um, interesting because I have been wrestling recently with uh, deciding whether or not to attend my, I can't believe I'm about to say this, 20-year high school reunion which is uh, scheduled for this summer. Yeah, I'm pretty fucking old, I guess. Um, I'll be 38 this year, so I don't really feel that old. But sure enough, right, you graduate high school usually when you're about 18 years old. And lo and behold, back there in 1996, I was a high school senior. And now we fast forward 20 years to 2016, guess it's got me feeling a little bit nostalgic, but at the same time, I don't know if I'm going to go. I guess I have to make a decision rather quickly because I believe uh, (laughs) tickets are due today to go. Um, I did reach out to one high school friend that I don't talk to very often, but I just was interested to know if he was going. I didn't get an answer back, you know, positive or negative. Um, So I don't know. I... I definitely really value those friendships and they totally made me, you know, made me who I am today in a lot of ways. But I think about, I don't know, things that matter to me now and I don't know if, if reconnecting like that is is exactly the way I want to do it. I would be, I think, way more interested if, if my circle of friends did our own reunion, right? Um, separate of my high school, which... You know, a very small percentage of them, I'm sorry to say, all you T-birds out there. Um, do I really have a vested interest in, you know, kind of checking up on old times? You know, I don't, hopefully I don't sound like snotty. It's just, I have, you know, my life now and I, you know, have my interests and I have limited time. So I think that a, a sort of a friend reunion would be more appealing to me than a, a full-blown, you know, high school reunion. So just a little tidbit about me, I guess, felt like sharing and, uh, you know, wanted to kind of think about what my audience uh, thinks about when they think about their high school friends. It's a lot of thinking. <laughs> All right, let's get into another question. Um, this one is a bit more serious and one that I actually took the time to respond to on Reddit personally. So I'm going to read this one comes from Iman One Haddad. I'm in a situation that really affects me on a day-to-day basis and I need some advice. First off, my parents are very protective and don't like me going out much. They're terrified I will leave home one day. 
When I was in high school, I had a moderate amount of friends, but I'm an introvert and I tend to keep to myself, even though I like having friends I could talk to. My senior year, my parents encouraged me to be a full-time dual enrollment student at a local college that my dad happens to teach at. So for an entire year, I didn't have any social interactions with any of my friends from high school. I didn't make any friends in my college classes, and I basically stayed at home and only left my house to go to class and my job as a part-time lifeguard. I could talk to the people at my job, but there's such an age difference, age difference that long-term friendships were not possible. When I started applying for colleges, I applied to several out-of-state schools and the local college I took classes as a backup. I got into every single one, but was forced to stay at the local college because my parents didn't want me leaving. Also, tuition for out-of-state is incredibly high. That summer, after I graduated high school, my parents forced me to quit my job, my only chance at interacting with other human beings so I could focus on school full-time, started my first official year of college as a sophomore student, the same as I had the year before, except without a job. I'm a very hard worker. School is basically all I know. All I do is study. After I left my job, I had almost no motivation to do anything. I had less time on campus than I ever had before, so I was basically at home on my laptop or at class for the entire semester. My grades started to slip. I didn't care. That's when I realized that this was becoming a problem. I hadn't talked to anyone who wasn't family in months. I have no friends in any of my classes, and I stopped caring about my grades. At the end of the semester, I realized something needed to change. Started second semester with an even shorter class schedule, two morning classes. I spent more time than ever at home. My grades are getting worse. I feel depressed. I've applied to a nursing school. I've applied to a nursing school in-state about three hours away, but I'm not sure I'll get in. The only chance I have to get out of the house, literally. Every day I feel sad and miserable. I'm 18, sophomore in college, no friends, overbearing parents. I can't officially call myself depressed to my family because my parents won't believe me. They're Asian. All I could think about is graduating at 20 years old, becoming a nurse, which I never wanted in the first place. It's my parents' choice. And working until I die. I want the college experience my parents keep talking about, but honestly, I wish I could skip the miserable period of my life and instantly be 30 with a husband and kids so there could be something to make me smile. I hate feeling this way. I just want to literally step out of my house. I need help, not professional help, just some advice to let me know I'm let me know if I'm missing out on anything big in college or if it's easier to make friends once you start working. All right. So I took the time to read all of that because there is so much packed in there that um I could probably do an entire podcast just on this person's post. Um not going to do that, but a few things alarm me. Uh, here's my response. <clears throat> so this is a tough situation. Your parents are not treating you right by forcing you to choose your college and or your major. At the same time, I can understand that it must be tough to leave if you have no income or means to support yourself. It's time to be straight up with your parents about how you're feeling. You said you w- they won't believe you about your depression. But once they see your grades, they'll know something's wrong. So that might be the best way to get their attention to see that the situation needs to change. I could totally understand that after years of not doing so, it's going to be very hard to stand up to them and explain the things that you've described in this post. Honestly, they need to hear everything that's in here. So if worse comes to worse, print this post and just give it to them. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid. It's going to hurt like hell. But we'll hopefully follow is a newfound sense of freedom in knowing everything is out on the table now. I also suggest talking to a counselor. Despite you stating you don't need professional help, you could talk to someone even just for a visit or two at your school. It should be The cost should be included in your tuition, and your parents will never have to know. 
if you don't want them to. I think it's important because the counselor will validate your feelings, is going to help you set a plan of what you're going to do next. It would seem, though, that before you can make a plan, you need to come clean with how you're feeling to your family. This, they should be an emotional support to you during college, not another stressor. I know you know this, but I feel like it's worth saying out loud. You're an adult. You get to make your own decisions, and your feelings matter. So uh, I, you know, there's a lot of things. First off, you know, the issue of the overbearing parents, um, that is extremely tough to advise on, I think, because, you know, this person really, in my mind, kind of does have limited options. So that's why I really stressed talking to parents and turning them from a stressor, if possible, into a support. I can't imagine what it must feel like to have your family dictate to you where you're going to go to school and what you're going to major in. That just doesn't seem right to me. And I I get, I probably might, I can just hear the parents now saying, well, it's our money, you know, you're going to do what we want kind of thing. Or maybe it's somewhat more indirect or just implicitly understood with your family. But yeah, that that's the first thing. And I really do believe in that newfound sense of freedom. I had an issue with my family that I needed to sort of air out and it was building for years. And eventually I wrote a letter and they thankfully gave me the opportunity to come to their house. And instead of just sending the letter, I read that out to them out loud, um, but it helped be able to like direct my thoughts and, and organize myself to get the best message across. And actually, not too much came of that initially, although I do have hope for the future. The one thing it did was just really, like I said, put everything on the table, and I feel like it was incredibly empowering to walk around and not have to carry secrets. And I I suspect you would feel the same way if you were in the situation and did finally kind of get everything out on the table. Uh, It will hurt. Um, But parents don't want to see their children suffer. You know, and if they know that they're the cause of that, they they may react uh, surprisingly compared to what you expect them to react or how you expect them to react. I really do think this person does need to talk to somebody as I said, not, you know, for any particular reason other than to feel supported by somebody else. Person's got no friends. The other thing I wanted to touch on is the fact that they left their job or, or was sounds like forced to leave their job by their overbearing parents. That was, from what it seems like in this description, the final nail in the coffin, so to speak. That was the one place that the person still had a connection to the community, to people, you know, although this person said that the age differences were, didn't make it easy to make really close friends, at least the person had acquaintances outside of their family. And the other thing is they had a little bit of money in their pocket, right? So they had a little bit of financial independence to do things on their own without having to rely on their parents or, or worry, you know, that they're indebted to them for some reason. And then that gets taken away. And that just... You know, I'm not surprised that this person is feeling the symptoms of depression. There's been a number of studies done. Uh, It's one of the more researched portions of the psychiatric rehabilitation discipline is the relationship between mental health recovery and work. And what it says rather unequivocally is that, first off, 
you don't need to be completely symptom free in order to work, you know. So anyone that tells you, oh, you need to get your depression under control before you can even consider working is bullshitting you uh, and tell them that to their face. Work can actually, it's been shown by research, uh, diminish symptoms. So somebody could be more symptomatic, you know, be feeling whatever, anxious, depressed, hearing voices. And once they start working, actually see symptoms dissipate. Why do you think that is? I think one of the reasons and one of the biggest reasons is that it is sort of expected in our society uh, once you graduate college and even amongst you know some subcultures in society while you're in college that you are a working individual. You know, our society and I'm speaking mainly from an American-centric point of view, but I think that this applies you know in uh, the Eastern countries and in Europe, you know, developed countries value of the social role of employee, right? You go out one night to a bar, maybe you have some acquaintances and you meet a bunch of new people, right, for the first time. And you strike up a conversation. Once you get out of college, I don't know if you get this right now, you know, because your role, your social role right now, if you do not have a job, is student. And that is acceptable too. So think about the person, though, that has no job and no school and what social role do they have? You know, if they're a person that's struggling with something like depression, that's their role. You know, depressed person with no job and no school. Getting back to that, you know, night out, you know, you meet somebody. What do they say? First thing, just to make small talk, what do you do? And if you don't have an answer for that, you feel pretty shitty. So I definitely believe in the power of work to further recovery. Whereas a lot of family members, like in this person's case, think of work as a stressor and they want to protect the person, you know, oh, you need to devote all of your time towards school. So we're going to take all of these other stressors out of your life. That's That sounds like a good thing. And the parents probably feel like they are, are truly helping their daughter in this case. But in reality, as it's, as it's playing out, um, it actually is causing more problems um, because now this person has is completely socially isolated, and that's the biggest problem of all here. Um, the overbearing parents could be mitigated if this person had social support outside of the family. The not working, you know, the seeing a therapist or counselor for a short term, all of this can be sort of mitigated. But the the most immediate problem, even more so than you know the potential of failing school, is that this person is completely socially isolated, and the the implications of having uh, no social connections or very limited are completely debilitating, you know, to, uh, from increase in symptoms to uh, poor physical health. Um, people that are lonely actually die, you, die sooner than people that are not. Um, so that to me is the most important issue to be rectified here and i really do feel like this person's best course of option is to be completely honest with their family no matter how overbearing and um, take the time to empower themselves they are an adult and they do get to make their own decisions now and it might come with some rather harsh natural consequences like oh if you're going to do that you can't be here and if it's important enough to the person, they'll figure out a way. So best of luck to you in, in this issue. And uh, I hope things turn around for you. All right. So let's get into today's topic. So 
I had spent a few episodes last semester discussing some audiobooks, kind of reviewing these uh, books I was consuming. I had done one on, uh, I think Stephen Covey was my favorite, my first one, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I did one on uh, David Allen's Getting Things Done. And then my last one towards the end of the semester was Timothy Ferris's The Four Hour Work Week. And so I had an enjoyable time doing that. And as I said, I had planned to have an interview for you today that fell through. So it just so happened I had started a new audiobook last week by Gary Vanderchuk called Crush It. And that is his first book. And it's about building your own personal brand and sort of <clears throat> why entrepreneurship is a big deal in the internet age that we are in today. So I didn't know if I'd really like it. To be honest, I first heard about Gary Vaynerchuk through my um, one of the sort of a mentor of mine uh, that I've talked a little bit about in past episodes, Jack Spearco, who runs the Survival Podcast. He was the one that first, uh, he's a big fan of Gary's, and he actually interviewed him. And so just in hearing about him, I think he's played clips of his interviews on his show. And so I'd heard a little bit, and I always thought he was a little bit obnoxious, to be honest with you. I had been exposed to him, you know, like I said, over a year ago, but it was just kind of like, eh, you know, he's all right. And then I heard one where I was like, all right, he's pretty cool because even if he's a little bit obnoxious, you could just tell he's super passionate about what he is talking about. And after I get past the initial, like, in-your-face way that he is, um, that's what rings true to me. And that is, is what's important to me, as you guys probably know from having listened. So I was interested in him, and then I got this uh, free Audible subscription. If you guys don't know what Audible is, it's sort of like the audiobook um, subsidy that is managed now, I think, by Amazon. So I got an offer. If you're an Amazon Prime member, I think this you get this offer to try Audible for three months and you get three book credits. And once a month you get to buy a book or you get a book for free and then you just have to remember to cancel. So this was the first book I got. I was had been interested. I was like, let me check out Gary Vee. Um, the other reason I got into him is because he does primarily a lot of YouTube. Um, he does, he's into big into Instagram. Now he's into Snapchat. So the mediums he was using just didn't really sync up with my primary way of consuming media. So I'm not a video person. You know, I don't watch a lot of videos just for the content, right? Just because I'm into it. Like if I watch a video, it's usually for a purpose. Like I need to learn something in WordPress or right now I'm learning ScreenFlow for Mac. So I'm watching a bunch of tutorials. That's what I use video for. I don't like to consume video, you know, it's just, I don't know, I'm, I'm more of an oral, A-U-R, A-U-R-A-L, you know, uh, or auditory learner. And that's why podcasts appeal so much to me. So he had his Ask Gary V show on YouTube for the longest time, and he, does, he did uh, Wine Library, Wine Library TV. Um, I identify with him because his first show, he tells his story, you know, in numerous ways. Um, but one story he tells is, you know, how he... Um, took over his father's wine shop in Clark, New Jersey. And it sort of rings true for me because Clark is a town very close to where I work that I drive through every single day to go to work. And um, the wine library, he's got the big store in Springfield that I used to pass a lot. So, you know, he's in my area too. Um, so I was like interested. So I decided to get the book and I had it for a few months before I even decided to listen to it. 
And then I uh, kind of crushed it in terms of listen to the book in, uh, it's not that long of a book. And in some ways, I guess I was a little uh, surprised. I thought it would be a little bit more nuts and bolts. And instead, it was a little bit more big picture overview. But that's fine. It just wasn't, I was expecting more like the four-hour work week type of um, layout. But it was more of a, an overall philosophy. So he talks about why it's important to build your brand in today's day and age. And, you know, he's got a lot of good reasons for it. And I think something he mentioned um Oh, let me just go back before I get into the book. As another reason why I've gotten into him recently is, as I said, I'm not really into his, the YouTube stuff that he does, but he recent I don't know if it's recently, I just recently found that he has a podcast that goes along with it, which is basically just an audio version of his YouTube show. And once he started doing that, I mean, he's 180 episodes in, so I guess he's been doing it for a while. Once I found it and started subscribing... That's when I really got into him because now I listen to him. You know, he does a couple of shows a week and I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy's fucking awesome. <laughs> um, he, he just really um, has a way of explaining things and breaking things down. And all a show is is people writing in questions or, or videoing questions for him and he answers them. Uh, and it's all types of things from building a business to entrepreneurship to social media and leveraging that. Um, so your personal brand is sort of whatever makes you tick. Um, and he talks about, you know, his biggest thing is passion, um, not surprisingly. So what do you do with passion? Well, passion is everything, according to Gary Vanderchuk. So stop me if you've heard that before. And so personal building your personal brand really involves whatever you're passionate about. So you might be thinking to yourself as I've dealt with this question before, like, I'm passionate about Argyle socks. <laughs> what the fuck am I going to do in terms of building my personal brand about Argyle socks? I'm passionate about Ninja Turtle collectibles. How the fuck am I going to turn that into my personal brand? All right. Whether you're passionate about Argyle socks, fantasy baseball, Ninja Turtle collectibles, spoons, uh, Gary Vanderchuk, whatever, um, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that you care so much about that thing that if left to your own devices, you would talk about this thing, read about this thing, write about this thing, uh, do anything you want, uh, collect, take pictures of, et cetera, et cetera, interview people about, um, it goes on and on. So why should college students consider their own personal brand? I mean, after all, I only started thinking about this last year. Um, and this podcast is my first attempt to really build my brand. Uh, I wish I had figured this shit out a little earlier, guys. So that's why I'm telling you. I really believe that your personal brand is going to sort of replace the resume eventually. You know, traditional resume written up on paper. Oh, this is where I went to college. This is a personal statement about me. This is my work experience. Um, people do not are going to be fitting less and less into that cookie cutter mold of college, you know, employment, no employment gaps. Don't want to have that because how are you going to explain it to your employer? Um, employers are going to be caring less and less about this because they're going to be looking for the best employees. And the best employees in the future, in my mind, are not going to be the ones that have the best degree 
or studied at the best school. Uh, it's going to be the people that do shit like this, um, do blogs, um, start little message boards, um, sell a product or a service relating to their passion. I'm talking about small here, but the ability to scale up and the way that you scale up is the internet. You know, the internet makes all of this possible. Before the internet, you could be passionate about Argyle socks, but your reach was so limited that it almost, in a sense, wasn't worth it. But now, the internet, it's everywhere and it doesn't go away, right? I could stop doing this podcast tomorrow and never touch it or talk about it again. And five years down the road, um, somebody might be interested and look it up and there it is, you know? Or I might, you know, be interested in talking to somebody about it and I could just point them to the web address and blah, blah, as long as I keep up my... Uh, my server space requirements and um, my keep renewing my web address. You know, that's really all you need to do to keep things up on the internet, you know, seemingly forever. Um, so I think about the future and I think about, you know, if I were to ever leave my position at Rutgers, where, what I would do next. And, you know, I would still certainly have a traditional resume. They're not going away anytime soon. I'm thinking I'm projecting long-term here, but really if I had a, a, a position I was interested in and, and I send in my resume, what I would actually feature is this podcast. I would say, if you want to know about me, um, listen to this podcast and you'll get a good sense of who I am and what I'm about. And so that sort of gets at one of the other Garyisms that I think is, is really cool is success is in your DNA. The internet makes it possible for you to kind of be yourself and stay true to yourself and know what is going to be right for you and your brand and your business. So I know one thing for me, uh, I thought about is when creating this podcast, it's like, should I curse in the podcast? Should I do the whole explicit lyrics thing? And I went back and forth because I know a lot of people are offended by cursing. And I know that it doesn't necessarily project the most professional, you know, brand in this case. Um, but then after thinking about it, I decided to leave myself the freedom to use curse words as much as I want, because that's part of who I am. So if my parents are listening and they're horrified by that, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I curse a lot. I drop F-bombs, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, I don't know. And I don't really care if people don't like it. So, um, I needed the the freedom to do that because if I didn't do that, I wasn't staying true to my DNA, so to speak. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily cursing's in my DNA, but you get the the picture. Like you have to be yourself. Uh, that's why I don't do a lot of editing with these podcasts. You know, I didn't do any last semester, and that probably was a little little lazy on my part. Um, so I'm doing you know I'm doing the editing this time. But you know, if I make mistakes and stuff, that's not what I'm going back and correcting. I'm correcting you know. I'm, I'm cleaning things up. I'm not um, removing parts of me. So your DNA is just knowing what's right for you and being empowered to be yourself. And if you're talking about your passion, um, let that come out. You know, it's okay if you fumble over your words because that's what really passionate people do sometimes because the message is what's important, not the technicalities of how it's said. So I don't know. It's just really cool to listen to passionate people, right? Um, I hope that my passion for what I do comes out in this podcast. So 
once you know what your passion is and know that success is in your DNA, you really, you know, kind of just get to creating content. Like, how do you do that? It sort of depends on your message and your kind of person you are. So again, it comes back to your DNA. Like I said, I'm not a video person, so I don't watch a lot of videos. I do make a a decent amount of videos because I teach online. So it's sort of a requirement and I'm fine with that. Um, But I prefer if I'm consuming media to listen to it. So it makes sense that my my passion, you know, for what I do, you know, online learning, helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals. The best way for me to do that is with a podcast because that's kind of what I'm into and that's what I that's how I like to learn. So if there's somebody out there that wanted to do exactly what I did but was more of a video person and started doing it, like great, all all props to him and and I bet there'd be a lot of crossover between my listeners and that person's viewers. But that's awesome, you know. I think there's room for everybody, you know. I'm a big um I'm a big believer in the abundance philosophy. So there's plenty for everybody. Uh, anyway, so how do you do that? So you choose your platform. So again, I had a podcast. You may use YouTube. Uh, another person might just do a straight, more traditional blog. Um, but I do recommend that everybody have one central place to kind of call their own. You know, the www.derekmalenzak.com, so to speak. And that for me is my is my where I house my podcast, which is college student success podcast.com. And that's where I'm building my brand. Um, it shows longevity, right? I've been at this now since August of last year, pretty consistently. It shows an air of authenticity. You know, I don't believe that I come across as ingenuous. And I'm also doing this or it's sort of the, one of the indirect benefits that comes along with this is an air of authority. So I don't really, I wasn't doing this because of this, but it just sort of is a nice offshoot. I sort of get some street credibility if you have been doing something for long enough and putting it out there for long enough. And the Argyle sock person that makes weekly posts about all the fucking cool Argyle socks that they find and rare ones that they find and, you know, set up an Instagram page where they post all these, you know, well done shots of really cool Argyle socks is going to, you know, attract other Argyle lovers out there. And that person might, you know, their medium might be Instagram. But I would still, again, link, start with a blog and make your post in your blog and then have, you know, there's a million different plugins and ways that you can then have that material forwarded to social media. So social media is your way to kind of build a community. Um, but your blog should be like your home because it's it's yours um, and it's very easy, you know. I'm not going to go into how to set up a blog, but it's really easy. You get a web name, you know, again, DerekMalenzak.com. You register one of those. It's like 10 bucks for a year or two. You get a get some server space, you know, Bluehost is one, you know, just look that up and see how cheap it is. And they'll help you set up a WordPress blog. WordPress is so fucking easy, guys, um, to be able to, you know, manage your own website. And just, it could be a diary of sorts. It could just be what you think about when you are collecting your Argyle socks and a few pictures. For me, it's how I help college students set and achieve goals. For another person, it might be their thoughts on, you know, different 
types of grass and why you want to plant each type in your lawn versus another type and the region and you know i don't know you know there could be there are blogs about everything but there are people about with all different kinds of passion and so i'm not going to get into the building of the community i really just want to focus on the the importance of building a personal brand um there's a saying in the mental health field or, or probably in all of the medical field um if you didn't document it, it didn't happen. And this was kind of getting at, you know, you got to keep up on your paperwork. And I really sort of believe this to be true in the internet age. You know, you can have all of this information about Argyle socks, but until you put it somewhere down in a video, on a podcast, in a blog, you know, on Facebook, you know, out to tweet tweets to random other Argyle lovers, um, it's almost like it's not happening. But once you put it out there, it's there forever. And again, how is Argyle Sock Loving going to get you a job in engineering down the line? Um, it isn't directly going to do that. But think of all the skills that transfer over from a passionate you know, blog about Argyle Socks to engineering. You know, it shows that the person has a drive and takes initiative. It shows that they have a bit of computer savviness. Um, it shows that they care about something. And you're going to want to be able to distinguish yourself in the future from all those other people out there that do have nothing to their name in terms of their personal brand. One thing that uh, concerns me greatly for the future, especially when I think about my own son, is the rise of automation. And in some ways, we've been hearing about, oh, robots are going to take over all the jobs for 30 fucking years. But in the last 10 years, there's been major, major advances when it comes to automation. If you think about, you've heard Google and Apple doing um, self-driving cars, for example. You know, that's just one. Um, you go into the supermarkets these days, and they have not even just supermarkets. More and more retailers these days have um, self-checkouts, right? Don't need a cashier anymore. Um, self-driving cars and trucks. You don't need truck drivers anymore or bus drivers. Um, this is not this is not literally right around the corner, but this is going to come in waves over the next two decades, and it's going to eliminate millions and millions of jobs. So what does that mean? That means there's going to be less jobs, but there's going to be more people. The population is at least level, if not growing, in the United States. So there's going to be more competition for precious few jobs. So think about it if you're an employer, right? And you have one of these precious few jobs that's open right now, 20 years from now, and you post that somewhere out there on the internet saying, hey, I'm looking for person X to work in this awesome job that doesn't come around very often because there just aren't out that many jobs out there. What could expect be expected to happen, right? He's going to get an overswelling of interest, right? And a million people are going to apply for this job. And how are they going to apply? Well, however resumes look 20 years from now, but that will still probably be um, the main go-to. And so he's going to have a thousand resumes to look through. What's going to set him apart, right? It used to be you could set, set people apart by weeding out just, oh, give me the college graduates. You know, if I have to pick between a high school graduate and a college graduate, I might as well take the college graduate because... You know, they're in numerous supply. Graduating from college is a 
way of saying I can do a certain amount of tasks that a typical high school student isn't able to do, right? Coordinate to get through four years of school, you know, do all the assignments, you know, there's a certain level, you know, whether it's true or not, I'm sure a lot of high school graduates have the same capabilities. They just have, again, haven't demonstrated it, haven't documented it. They don't got the piece of paper. The college student does. But in 20 years, there may just be everybody is a college student. And it's like, well, now what is now? How do you weed people out? This is how they're going to do it through the personal brand. They're going to look at these resumes and they're going to say, what's what stands out? Wow. This person has their own blog about X. You know, my company doesn't relate to that, but that's pretty interesting. What if the company did? What if because you're so passionate about Argyle socks that you're applying for a job in a clothing design company? You know, all of a sudden now the passion is going to match the job interest and the employer is going to look at that and go on your blog and look at your Instagram and be like, wow, this person's really fucking into Argyle socks. And that's going to give them the leg up. I mean, as simple as that. So... I'm not saying all this to scare you. You guys are in college now. I don't think this is going to impact you as much as, as I said, like my son, who's three right now. And in 15 years, it's going to look a little different. But I really think building your personal brand is a key to success in the future when it comes to carving out a career that you love. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk says he does not measure success in terms of money. He measures success in terms of happiness and that the happier he is, the more successful he feels. And I could not agree with that more. Um, that's how I feel right now. And I know that students, college students that are going through, you know, fucking depression and really horrible anxiety um, would love to have that feeling, too. So I think that the I think it translates well to this population. So. Just to run through again uh, some of the Garyisms that I had personally identified with to, as we start to wrap things up. Passion is everything. So if you're thinking about building your personal brand, it's got to be something that you love, love, love to do. You know, that's why I'm doing this. You know, that's why, again, I'm here on a 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday when I, you know, have a bunch of other things that I probably should be doing, but I'm doing this because this is important to me. Um, so figure out what your passion is, first off. Um, you sh it should not be hard to find, as I've talked about before. I know I read that Mark Manson quote um, in the beginning of the semester. Success is in your DNA, so stay true to yourself. Um, do what feels right. Don't, you know, if... if I'm telling you, go out there and start a blog, and your DNA is telling you, no, that's not the way that my potential brand is going to um, show up well, then don't fucking listen to me. Do what, what you believe in. That's what success is in your DNA means. Create great content. So this all comes back to passion. If you're really passionate, your content will be great. Choose your platform. Again, have it match your own DNA, right? I am into podcasting, so I'm doing a podcast. I'm not into videos. So not only am I not making videos about college student success, I'm not watching other people's videos about it either. So I know YouTube's a great place, and a lot of um, college students, that is their preference. But it's not everybody's. Keep it real. Um, be authentic. 
you know, have patience. So one of the other things he talks about is like, you can't just build a personal brand in two months. That's why I think it's cool for college students because they may not necessarily be the focus be on making money right off the bat. You know, I'm not focused on making money with this podcast. That's for damn sure. Um, I don't really see a way to monetize this, but I know that if I have people that listen to me and believe in what I'm talking about, that if I were to come out with something down the line that would be potentially something for sale, that, you know, I've built up a decent amount of credibility to be like, you know, if you like this podcast and you, you believe in me, I think you'll like this thing too, you know? So, you know, patience, I think, is important when it comes to this because the primary focus of building your own personal brand in the beginning should not be to, to make yourself a millionaire. Um, it's going to take time and, you know, you have to be fine with that. That's why, again, why I said starting early is like the best advice I could give for this. Um, hustle. You know, there really isn't a lot of fancy, uh, advice to be given behind hustle other than you need to fucking hustle. You know, you need to want it and you need to be willing to go after it and get it. Uh, I was talking last week about um, a major step I had made in achieving my goal in um, getting a hotel for the weekend to kind of bang out all these screencast recordings that I got to do for my online course. And it occurred to me this week that there's a band I really am into that's playing in the city all weekend. And it's the same weekend that I just booked all my hotel time at. And I was on the phone with my brother when I realized this. And I was like, oh, shit, guess I'm not going to those shows. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, this is hustling. This is like making the the decision to be like, no, nah, I'm going to forego it this time because in a year or two from now, hopefully I'm going to be in such a better position that I will be able to make that choice because I worked hard now. So uh, hustle, guys. You know, it's it's not a lot of like magic sauce. You know, there's no secret ingredient in this, this brand building other than, you know, you got to kind of keep at it. And that's why I think building good habits and routines into your daily life can help just so much with this. Um, and then the last thing, legacy is greater than currency. So again, the internet is not going away. Things that you say and put out there aren't going away. So you need to be thinking about your legacy in terms of, is this what I put out here truly me? Um, in 20 years, am I going to be proud of this? You know, versus... Should I make this decision now because it's going to make me some money in the short term? So that's what that means in terms of legacy is greater than currency. Um, your personal brand trumps whatever short-term monetary opportunities might come your way. So that is all on that for today. For your home exercise this week, I'd like you to consider your personal brand. What are you about? Does the goal you're working on this semester in any way relate to your brand? It may not, and that's cool if it doesn't. But if it does, like maybe that means you're onto something, right? Um, if you were to start a business tomorrow based on your current passion, what would it be? That's just a, a what if kind of question. And then the last thing, think about how this can impact you as a potential employee down the road. If you are not, if you are just, in, if you are just. I'm sorry. If you are not in a position to start branding yourself now, I get it. But at least write down this personal brand idea and file it somewhere where you won't forget it. So this goal 
you know, I talk about week to week about Derek's five factors. This goal relates to passion, pretty obviously. So thank you, Gary Vanderchuk. I'm going to send him a link to this podcast just to uh, say thank you for the inspiration. And I have a link to Gary's first book, uh, Crush It. This is the book that I just talked about in the episode today. Um, perhaps you might be more interested in what Gary's doing nowadays. So again, he has a YouTube show, he's got a podcast, and he's got a brand new book that is dropping next week. Uh, I have a link to that in the show notes as well. I pre-ordered it. I'm really excited uh, to hear what how far he's come as a writer. Uh, so he's got, I think this is his fourth or fifth book. Um, so I'm going to skip ahead to, to read this one or listen to this one next and maybe go back and, and read or listen to one of the others. So hope you enjoyed this episode. Definitely check out Gary Vanderchuk if you're interested more in, in learning about your personal brand and especially how to leverage social media to kind of get your, your message out there. Hope you enjoyed the episode today, guys. Enjoy your spring break if it's coming. Um, bear down. Hustle, get through those midterms, and I will talk to you guys next week. Peace.